welcome back to the Flat Out RC podcast. My name's Andrew Sill, the host of this podcast, the podcast that talks all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. Well, another week rolls on, another week in aero modeling, you could say. Uh, this is episode 60, um, which I'm surprised I got to 60 episodes. Uh, and that's, I'm still aiming every week. Uh, the only time I take a bit of a break is uh, January during our summer down here. If you're listening from overseas, our summer here in Australia, uh, take a bit of a break during January, spend some time with the family, holiday time, just to, to chill a bit, plan the next year of content sometimes. But uh, yeah, subscribe whilst you're, whilst you're here so that you don't miss out on an episode. Now, this week's special guest is a, a gentleman that, I, uh, that I've come to know now through flying with him, basically, at our local flying club, and that is Stevie Melkman. Stevie has been on the flying scene for as long as I can as long as I've been involved, uh, and I call him the all-rounder. He, he's flown everything, so uh, stay tuned for my chat with Stevie Melkman. Before we get to that, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Well, this week, what is on my mind? Well, not much, really. Uh, things just keep on rolling on. Uh, COVID situation, we've got a bit more relaxed regulations. Uh, didn't get out flying this weekend, went up to the holiday house, uh, up to the snow, what's left of it. Anyway, uh, I've been thinking we're coming up to a period of time uh, now here in Australia where our membership renewals, our flying club membership renewals are due. And uh, I've already paid for... Uh, Mine. I've already signed up to my main club. There's another club that I will be joining uh, that uh, I've been a member of for a while now, uh, a bit further away from home. So I will be, I've got to remember to do that this week. I've got to fill out the uh, membership forms. But uh, choosing a flying club. Now, some of us don't have choice uh, because, you know, if we live in a country region and there's only one flying club, that's going to be the club that we join. But if you live in a more metropolitan area, you might have. Uh, the luxury, really, of of choosing which flying club to join, and it's funny how every flying club that I go to has sort of a different culture, uh, and that culture is sort of bred into the members in a kind of way. And you know, I've I've been a member of a few different clubs, uh, and moved last year to the club that I'm now a member of, and uh, basically the reason for my move was. The club that I was a member of, I sort of didn't feel like I, I, I gelled with everybody there. Like, cause, no, I'm into flying aerobatics and uh, things like that. And uh, and if if you're at a club where you're the the, the lone ranger, as they say, that uh, flies a particular style, then there's nobody sort of bounce off and that kind of thing. The, the, the people were there were great. No, no issues with that. The people were really good people and all that kind of stuff. But I ended up moving to this other club and uh, it's a much bigger club and uh, – you know, plenty of different different genres of planes and people to to, to hang around with, and so uh, I move there. And another big reason is they own the field, they own the land, so it's a very secure club. So I thought I, I want to plant my, my my roots into a club that I know that I can commit to for a long period of time. That that was you know the most local one to me. Plus, owning their own, you know, the field means it's very very secure. 
so I hope to be a member there for a long period of time. Uh, but yeah, just thinking about different clubs, you know, what do you look for in a club? Um, you know, if you've got any comments, send me a message, you know. Uh, but I personally, I, I look for a place that is secure. I look for a place where there's like-minded people that I can gel with. And when I mean gel with, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, I'm not going to talk to somebody that likes flying gliders as an example, because I like flying aerobatics. I do like flying gliders as well. But uh, uh, people that you can get along with, have something in common. Um, if you're, you know, trying to improve your flying skills, there's people there that can help you do that uh, in whatever genre you're, you're flying. And that's what I find at the club that I'm at now. Uh the downside of being a member of a big club is that it's a big club. Every time you go to the flying field, it's like there's a flying event on. Uh, you know, you'll have a minimum of twenty people turning up, kind of thing. And uh, so you've got to, you know, you, often you'll be flying with somebody else in the air. If you're lucky, you'll be by yourself. You know, you've got to pick your times, kind of thing. If you want to practice your IMAC route sequences or F3A or freestyle aerobatics, but there's there's a lot of people and a lot of personalities which can 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 create challenges for um in, in the club and it's no different to any other club where there's a lot of members i always say that you get a group of like-minded people and sooner or later uh there's going to be a personality clash or something the good thing that bonds us all is is our love of flying model airplanes so as long as we hold on to that then that rises above everything one of my favorite places to go to go and fly is actually outside of the metropolitan region outside of melbourne here uh and go to um, clubs in the country, so whether it be Bensdale, Sale, Echuca, Shepparton, Ararat, uh, these kind of clubs are just awesome places to go. And I always find that they're a lot smaller. There's a smaller membership base, but they, they really love having visitors there. And I've always felt really welcome when I go to the country. And often it's a really good day out because you get more flights in, uh, get more flights in, and um, yeah, it's just a nice environment that. Is large. Also, often the country clubs have a, a big fields, where in the metropolitan clubs you're you're sort of shorter on space. Uh, not all of them, but it's some of them. You know, we've got a club down here in Melbourne called the Doncaster Era Modelers Club, and and that's a it's a football field basically. It's not it's not much space at all. But the members love going there, and the, the advantage of that club, which is an example of every club has their pros and cons, is that it's just so local. It's just it's the middle of suburbia. That if you live in that area near Doncaster, then you get there in five minutes. It's like just going for a walk down the park. So it's it's I definitely would be a member of that club if I lived in that local area. So lots of clubs. You're gonna to have to make that choice coming up to uh, the mid year when our when our club renewals are uh, due. So I hope your choice is as easy as mine was. And if it's not, well, just think about what you really want to get out of your club. What kind of people go and visit see how you gel with the crowd and then you can commit to it because it's a little bit of money in our membership fees. But uh, remember, those membership fees go to a good cause, which is to keep the club going. And without the club, you don't know where to fly. Guest time, which is my favourite part of the podcast. And this week is a gentleman by the name of Stevie Melkman. Stevie, as I mentioned in the introduction, he's an all-rounder. Uh, you know, I know him as a glider pilot, aerobatics, scale, uh, helicopters. And I thought I'd get Stevie on because I asked him a long time ago. I said, Stevie, you've got to come on because he's, he's, he's got a lot of life in him, a lot of passion for the hobby. Uh, and he's always a great person to have at the field. Uh, always, uh, 
enjoy seeing Stevie at the field because uh, he's a he's a happy go lucky kind of guy, and he's been around for a long time. And uh, as I always say with the Flat Out RC podcast, uh, you know I, I love just talking to to everybody, whether they be someone with a name like a, a Jace Ducia or you know to the, the the common club member that you know everyone's got a story to tell and Stevie's story is, is a quite good one. He, he's relatively well known in the flying scene here in uh, Victoria, Australia because of um, he's just been in it for, for a long time and in, in so many different facets. So Stevie is a well-known guy. So here is my chat with the good guy, Stevie Melkman. Well, it's my pleasure to have a fellow club member, a man that I've come to know and enjoy his company, Stevie Melkman. Thanks for joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast. Thanks, Andrew. It's great to be here. Well, Stevie, I had seen you in the flying scene for many, many years. Never got to know you until I joined uh, the club that we're a member of and uh, uh, both members of. Um, but I know you've been aero modelling for a long time. Where did it all start? And who do we blame? That That's a really good question. Um, my father, obviously, is the one to blame. <laughs> uh, my, my first uh, inkling of of being surrounded by anything era modeling was a uh, control line. So my dad was uh, sort of into control line and my brother, who's seven years older than me, he, I was probably about, oh, I was probably a toddler to be honest. <laughs> but my, my, my dad was doing it with my brother and uh, they were flying at the, the Knox control line club. I think it's KMAC from memory. Yes. Yeah, right. And uh, I used to come along and watch and yes, yeah, so I had a bit of a, a smell. Obviously, I, I couldn't touch anything because I was too young. Stand back there. Don't get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that that probably lasted uh, for a couple of years. And then my brother just wasn't interested in it anymore. And then so my dad had a bit of a break from mirror modeling. Uh, now, in the background, he had started constructing uh, an RC, like a 40-size trainer. I think it was from the RCM magazine in, in America. And anyway, he scratch-built that himself and it was sitting on the bench and I sort of wonder, oh, what's happening with that? And as I sort of got a bit older, I think I was about 10 or 11, uh, that's when Dad sort of wanted to come back to it and that's where he sort of suggested, hey, how about we go and check out VARMS, the glider club. <laughs> so uh, we, we went to the, the VARMS club and I think it was a, a Sunday. They used to have these, they still actually have these training days. And uh, I was given a, a bit of a, a go on the winch with the, the club trainer and uh, yeah, I was just totally blown away and amazed. It was completely different to control line. <laughs> and uh, initially, uh, yeah, that, that was my first sort of real go at, at remote control. And um, you could sort of say from then on, uh, Dad uh, built a, an RC glider. I think at the time it was a House of Bolsa 2T. That was the first one he built for himself and we both learnt on that. And then, so that was probably about a, I'll say, give or take, 12-month period that we are sort of doing that. And then all of a sudden, Dad says, well, do you want to go and check out the Power Club? Anyway, so we go to DK Rack, Dandy Knox, as, as, as some listeners may remember back in the day. I think it was on Audish Road. What, and, uh, what we year are we talking? Okay, okay. Give just me an year. Right, just a, yeah. Yep. So it would have been 91, 92. Uh, that that was that was the time. I think it would have been '91 even that we went to DK Rack. To be quite honest, and anyway, we this is the Power Club. So Dad took me there, and uh, I was just taken back. I was a bit older, obviously, from uh, 
you know, my younger years seeing control line and methanol engines and I was just taken back. So this is awesome. They're remote controlled and they're nitro powered. And I said, Dad, stuff the gliders. <laughs> let's learn let's learn how to fly these things. And then so my focus and enthusiasm uh, really shifted. I, I was really keen on power and so uh, so was obviously dad wanted to do it with me and uh, so we started learning to fly power and Look, amongst whilst that was going on, we were still doing RC glider stuff and, and in the background, but uh, we were really keen. And I guess at that time, uh, in the early 90s, it was hard to get good, uh, when I say tuition, I mean, look, I, I thank those volunteers and instructors who did take us up, but it did take us an extended period of time when you, you think of things these days. Um, I think it was about 18 months it took us to actually fully solo. It's an, it's an interesting point, that, that... Um it seems that nowadays people get up to speed a lot quicker for, for whatever reason. I don't know. Okay, some some people like myself use simulators that got yes. me up to speed really really quickly. <laughs> whether it is Correct. getting foamy models, we know you know brands like eFlight have got their safe technology that make it you know you can control the plane you know over rotating and things like that. But uh, I just don't know what what it is because I know that some people have this have a similar story that it was like oh it took me like twelve months before I could fly solo but before they'd let me you know fly solo. I don't know why that is the case. It's so different nowadays. Well, when I look back and I think about the factors or the contributing uh, issues that we um, experienced, radio, we had some issues with some radios, you know, back on we flying FM and, and some AM sets as well on 40 megs. And occasionally we did have some issues with radio. Um, look, the model was fairly reliable and we didn't have too many issues in that regard. But uh, the, the biggest issue, because we lived, I want to say a fair distance, it was probably about three quarters of an hour drive um, to get to the club, which, look, it's standard these days. That's the typical time it takes for me to get to my main club now. But uh, in those days, you know, if it's windy and you didn't know the weather and we didn't have a weather, weather station at the club, of course, you would rock up and it's blowing a gale. It's like, oh all right, we can't really train now, can we? So there was a combination of weather and reliability in those factors. But, I mean, if we did have good simulators, um, I'm sure I would have progressed a lot quicker. <laughs> yeah. So then, so so your dad, so what plane were you flying at this stage in those early days? That that was still that RCM uh, trainer, oh, that 40-size trainer. trainer, and that, that had an old OS uh, 40 motor. Um, this was at the time when 46s or 45s were just coming in, um, so 40s were still very popular, and uh, obviously the 60s were available, but um, yeah, that was that 40 size. We did have another model, which fun, strangely enough, um, it, it was another one Dad built from scratch called an Adamus, and it was a essentially a three-channel plane, elevator, rudder, had no ailerons, had a lot of dihedral and it had a 15 size motor. So what dad did, because my dad's an electronics man, he decided to convert the Dash Sabre two-channel glider radio into a three-channel and he oh. put a third channel on it and he said all I had to do was solder extra pins to the receiver, mm. rah, 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 oh, no. <laughs> and this and that. And, uh, yeah, he converted that plane to an RC plane using a Dash set and uh, we did fly that. Actually, Your we dash. actually progressed quite a bit further with that model. That was always a bit interesting. We could never... Uh, roll off ground takeoff that thing it would want a ground loop like mad so every takeoff was a hand launch and uh, we did have a couple of goes doing touch and goes and <laughs> just got to keep the thing running and <laughs> and uh, yeah so so that was um, yeah 91 92 um, 
look, over the years, I progressed in 97. I, I There was already helicopters on the scene at my club. And I said to Dad, Dad, I've got to learn how to fly helicopters. They are oh, awesome. No. I was just totally taken back. I mean, the thing that caught my, uh, my ears, I'll say, is on the, the trainer helis, typically woody blades, the woody blades have a, a very different uh, blade noise to carbon or, or glass, and uh, it's almost a little bit sort of a whistly sort of sound, and that just kept caught, just totally uh, drew me in. Um, and anyway, I begged and begged and begged, <laughs> and Dad came through with an Ergo 30, <laughs> oh, yeah. and uh, that's what I learned on. So I said to him, I said, Dad, if you get me this helicopter, I'll prove to you I can fly it. And I, I mean, we used to, Dad used to sort of uh, try and convince me otherwise, oh, it's like balancing a marble on a glass plate, rah, rah, rah. And I said, look, I'll prove to you I can do this. So anyway, I um, I used to training undercard. I was hovering. I didn't even have a computer radio. It was just in the combo with the Focus LE5, which most people remember that. That's what they came with. It, in Australia, that is. That's how Model Engines packaged it up, uh, being the high-tech distributor. And uh, yeah, I, I just was hard at it. I was, I was practicing every single opportunity I could. And I probably, you could sort of say, I taught myself how to hover in about a month, I reckon. And by about the two or three months mark, I flew my first circuit <laughs> with a heli. And that's the thing I learned straight away. Hang on, I've got to really use this rudder now because yeah. uh, this thing doesn't have an engine pulling it forward, driving it. <laughs> Actually, question for you. Yeah. I can never recall when I was being instructed. Well, my instructing sort of wasn't really instructing, but that's another story. But I've never, re I can't recall anyone telling me, oh, my instructor got me to work the rudder. It was like, were you ever taught yes. to use the rudder? Well, I no. was in pow power initially, and, and the crucial components were takeoff. That was the main exposure where the, the main focus, and obviously taxiing. Yeah. And it was like, well, you need to use the rudder. You need to keep the nose straight, rah, rah, rah. But then once you're up in the air, forget about the rudder. <laughs> yeah. Just concentrate on bank, everything else. Bank and it, yank. It, exactly. And you could sort of say that the lead into helicopters and um that really helped with my uh, my rudder and, and being able to fly coordinated turns and just using the rudder yes. a lot more. See, that's interesting because yeah. I got got into the hobby after back into the hobby after a very long break, many 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 years um, via helis, and so and I was on the simulator for years, uh, just playing around the simulator before I actually even went and flew a real heli and got into planes again. It was like I was just mucking around the sim a lot, and nowadays I can't stand flying a model that doesn't have a rudder i've got a i've got a viper jet foamy um that yes got given to me for review and the rudder doesn't work very well on it and i can't stand the fact that the rudder doesn't work on the damn plane it's just like once you get used to using a rudder you can't live without it there's a reason why they exist isn't there that that's that's it and uh you know once you know how to use the rudder and and you can command and use its full potential it's obviously uh, you know it, you use it as your best friend to get around whether it's on the ground or in the sky <laughs> so it sounds like you're the kind of guy that was uh at the field and you were being influenced um with you know by what was around you and Correct. you didn't hesitate to go that looks good wouldn't mind having a go at that because you are the ultimate all-rounder. I've seen you with scale planes, gliders, helis, aerobatic models, jet models. It's like it's easier probably to say what haven't you flown. 
that that's it. That's a good point, actually, Andrew. So just coming back to that point, yeah, that was around '97 when I uh, got into Hallie's. Around that same time, could have been a give or take a year before or after. I was getting into Patton F3A, and would you believe? And some of the listeners may remember this model. I acquired a Kryptonite, which used to be owned by Andrew Bergdorf, and I believe. The motor, or if not the model, I think Andrew built it, but um, I know Ian Bendel had something to do with it, and Ian's uh, name is mentioned in the traps of F3A, <laughs> and uh, that model, i never forget it. Uh, it was cool. When I first saw it, I thought, oh, this is awesome. I, ha I have to have it, and so I started flying pattern around that time, and, um, you know, I progressed onto, uh, I think I went to the next class, Advanced, and uh, Dad obviously wanted, I was having a lot of problems, would you believe, with reliability of the 61 long stroke YS. And uh, it was interesting, I was getting half lights and then dead sticks and, uh, you know, as frustrating as that was for me, uh, I, some of the, the guys there actually felt sorry for me and spent some time trying to help me work out the problems with the motor. But uh, I progressed then onto a two meter, which at the time, um, there was a, a, another flyer by the name of Adrian Hopgood from Geelong. He was a scale era modeler, but also yeah. F3A uh, uh, pilot as well. And uh, he designed this um, chaparral. And uh, Dad decided, I'm going to build you a chaparral. So he built me a chaparral. <laughs> and uh, I started flying with that. And, um, you know, I got to a point and... Um, Look, I had a few health issues at a young age and uh, I never really got back into it. I did get through my health issues and uh, I'm all fine, but um, I just never really got the enthusiasm back. And you could sort of say for a, a number of years following, I just did helis and planes and, and I still was flying gliders, of course. Um, I got into aero tow. I probably started aero tow in, let me think, probably 2005-ish. As, as, a, as a bit of a guess and um, that was all through VARMS and that sort of came about that Dad acquired a Zenoa Twin 80 uh, petrol motor and uh, he said, well, I'll we'll put that in a tow plane and I said, bring it on. You just mm. get it going, I'll fly it. <laughs> and uh, so we had this motor in the cupboard for years and uh, eventually uh, I saw World Models had um, released the third scale cub and sure enough they're using the Zenoa Twin 80 and I said dad that is the perfect model it's ARF you just need to get it fit it out and you know get it certified and fly it and uh, we did and, and that became a very successful uh, tow plane at, at the VARMS club and we did go to a few country aerotows as well with it there's many stories to tell uh, we probably don't have the time to go into that so now you've done, but uh, you've done plenty of takeoff and landing with yeah, that plane, uh, the, the the key manoeuvre I used to do with that, everyone used to look at me like, why are you doing that? Well, the, because it was a, a classic J3, no flaps, full full wing, I used to always side slip it in to basically generate drag, to lose height, and then clean it up right at the bottom and, and, and land. Uh, but that plane taught me a lot about uh, taxing tail up. With the, with the tail airborne and uh, being confident on the controls and, and not being scared because uh, I know with typically with high wings, as soon as the tail comes down, if you've got a crosswind or something, especially that plane because it was a flat bottom wing, it could just pick up the wing and cartwheel or, you know, nose the, you know, the plane over, flip the tail over the top. And that happened a couple of times. But uh, once I got confident keeping it um, 
retail uh, high for taxi, that was actually the safest way to, to you know, taxi it around on the ground with a crosswind. Well, the it sounds like you would you were really really involved in the flying scene. Like, was it something that you were doing like every weekend? Was a make a beeline for the club? Correct. Yeah. Look, uh, it's it's been my main hobby and and sport. You could sort of say um, I've taken it very seriously and. You know, not just myself, but my father. Uh, we, it's always been a father and son thing, and I'm very grateful for that. It's uh, It's been a, a really good thing uh, for us. Um, certainly, look, you look around, and I, I see a few more now father and sons out there, but when I was growing up, I felt like I was the only one with, oh, with really? a father that I was flying. Yeah, and it could have been just the exposure to the clubs I was in. But uh, I certainly felt on my lonesome, but I did feel very lucky, and I was obviously uh, very thankful for well, that. I think, well, I see, I see, you know, a few father and son sort of teams, as I call them, and, and um, there's always a common thread when you see that scenario, and that is that they're these two motivational forces that keep each other going, um, and that um, especially if you're a young kid, and you know, of course you don't have any money, um, dad always pitches in, but you see, you know, I can't really think of a bad father and son combination that I've seen at the field. It just seems to, you know, work. Like I'm in a situation with my son. He's not interested in going flying. My daughter's not interested <laughs> in going flying. Well, I'm getting close with my son. Um, yes. He, I keep on saying to him, you just might like it. I've got a plane for you. Let's go. So I think eventually I, I think I'll wear him down and he will come. But uh, keeping him motivated, it would be, I think, a challenge for him. But yeah, you're lucky sort of to have have your dad there to, to, to foster that. And you were saying you had a bit of a quiet time. So did you sort of, you know, you had your health issues and whatever. Did, did you take a bit of a break at all or just? I, I, I did, yes. Yeah, I, I did, uh, Andrew. Um, that that was a tough time for me. I, I was about 19, I think, from memory. Um, I had cancer. I got through all that. But um, that was a hard time, obviously, with, with all the treatments and whatnot. But I have to say, error modelling, I've been very thankful for, you know, trying to work through and understand why it was happening to me. So I, I would take my heli out and I would, look, I, I knew how to stick bang back then. <laughs> stick bang is the term for 3D, by the way, guys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, I, I, used to I used to take a lot of my frustration out uh, at the field and I thought it was the best way to deal with it and it was. And there would be some times, so I sort of did that on and off. Um, there, there were times also... When I didn't fly heli, and I remember a couple of times where I didn't fly heli for almost a year, and I was flying planes still, but it was like my focus had shifted and I just lost that enthusiasm and that passion for it. But it did come back. It did come back. And, uh, you know, I've, I've obviously, my focus has changed over the years and I've done a, a number of things, you know, moving on from the aero tow. Uh, which I still do now, uh, and I'm still uh, towing it at the Varms Club on uh, once a month. Um, I decided to actually have a go at competing again, and uh, my interest then shifted to scale. So, you know, the Victorian Flying Scale Association and uh, the VFSAA. And, um, yeah, I wanted to have a bit of a go. And I, I Look, scale aircraft have always interested me, and I like the finer details. It's nice to see what some very skillful modelers like David Law uh, can do. <laughs> and uh, so that that's where my focus then shifted and I started competing. And uh, what, what the other thing I, at the time, so let me just think, my first 
play. And actually, I think from memory, it was a, a CM Pro Katana. Um, it's had a, a OS 160FX with a, a Bison. And uh, that's what I first, that's that's my earliest memory of a plane that I flew. And that was aerobatic, would you believe? But interestingly enough, I moved away from aerobatic and put my focus in civilian. And the reason why I wanted to do this, I wanted to learn how to fly as smooth and as realistic as possible, uh, flat maneuvers, climbing maneuvers. So I really focused on civilian and I, I think the next plane that I uh, I picked up was a World Models Eclipwing Cub. It was actually, I think it was quarter scale, and I acquired a ASP-160 flat twin for it. So it was a perfect combination. I even had on it a, um, a FEMA auto start. So <laughs> I could remote start the motor and whatnot. But that plane, that plane served me really well, and I placed... Uh, numerous times with that aircraft and the thing that was good about that I could do some arrows with it still too but obviously not too overboard uh, but it did fly very well and I, I knew the cub very well having done uh, you know having so much time on the tow plane <laughs> I knew the characteristics very well the next one of the next planes I acquired was a, a Waco uh, great planes Waco and I, I decided to buy a um, evolution 35cc seven-cylinder radial, glow radial, oh, yeah. and that was a perfect motor for it. And uh, that plane also flew quite similar in some respects to the Cub. It was a little bit limited in power, but uh, it flew scale, you know, and it, it did the job very well. It sounded quite nice. I mean, it, as one of my friends says, it sounded like a Janome sewing machine. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but um, it, then, of course, one of the, the next or probably... The biggest plane I've ever owned. Mate, I quite let me the, guess. Yep. It's the big Cessna, isn't it? It, it was the Tommy Composite Four Meter Cessna, that was, and uh, that was that was where I first saw you at a flying event with that model, and that was always etched in my memory. That oh, that's Stevie Melkman, and that's his massive Cessna. That was a big plane. <laughs> it was. It was. So um, the reason for going that big, I love big models, and I the Cub was probably the, the, at the time before getting the Cessna, the biggest model I had flown. And uh, I knew that model. I got very comfortable flying that plane. And I said, look, I think this is the next step. Yes, it's a bigger, it's slightly bigger and it's bulkier. It's got a bit more mass. And that was a story and a half getting it certified. I had to fly out an inspector from Tassie <laughs> to do that. Really? Because, yeah, we Why? didn't have any. Uh, at the time, uh, we didn't have any appointed giant model inspectors in Victoria. I think there was one in New South Wales, but uh, we didn't have any over here. So, um, but how much did it weigh? Uh, let me just think. I think it was about 30 kilos from memory, oh, 30 to 31. I think, yeah, it was definitely above the 25, I know that much. It was it was around 30, 29 to 30. And um, we did weigh it, obviously, and, you know, it was a big plane. Uh, but, geez, it flew well. And the thing that I, I loved about it, I could do my signature side slip with it, and it just yeah, looked awesome with the lights that. and everything. And when you're seeing that plane coming down, or not vertically, but coming down on, on its side or almost, and then seeing the, the nose pointing up and that, front wheel pant pointing up because I had right rudder in or left rudder, whichever. Yeah. What else? <laughs> it, it looked weird, but <laughs> that that plane did it well. And uh, I love, I always say that 
um, I love seeing Cessnas of all sizes fly. They just look so real in the sky. There's something about that that shape of a Cessna that is just phenomenal. I've I literally have never seen seen a really bad Cessna fly. If you followed my Instagram page, you'll see me put Cessnas up a go. You know, have some smart remark about how much I love Cessnas, but um, that and that that model. Who who you sold that model though, didn't you? Correct. Um, Glenn Orchard. That's right. So Glenn uh, bought that I've off got, me. Yeah. I've got plenty of photos of Glenn flying that plane. Plenty. Very good. But <laughs> but he sold he sold that now. I think as well. That's moved on. Um, it it has it has. So I owned it for about ten years, and uh, that that aircraft really served. It me well. The reason I moved it on, I I'd moved out of home and I needed a bit more space. It took up a lot of real estate yeah, <laughs> to store it. I mean, yes, still two piece wings, and it it was quite modular in that the empennage, the whole tail sections, the vertical stab and horizontal stabs came out with the tail cone and whatnot. But it still took up a lot of space, and I felt like I was not enjoying it as much as I used to. But I did get value from it, and I felt like I got enough enjoyment out of it. So that was good. I, I have no regrets about uh, selling years, it. Ten years was a good run with that model. Oh, yeah, it was great. DA-150 up front, no problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Didn't you have a, a pilot figurine in there that was modelled on yourself? I did, correct. Yeah, so Patsy from Bundaberg, as, oh, yes. as some may know, uh, she was making uh, lifelike pilots and uh, I managed to get her contact. I can't remember how I got her contact details. But anyway, we got in contact. We started talking. She was very keen. And I mentioned to her that I wanted a, a big one for the Cessna, the big Cessna. And I had a smaller Cessna as well, which was also a Tommy Composite. Um, I think it was about a quarter scale, and uh, she made me a smaller one as well. But it was it was funny when she made the pilot. Um, I had to send her all my uh, profile and side view shots of my face, mm. and also she wanted to um, see my shoes oh, <laughs> because really? she wanted to make lifelike shoes for me, which she molded and oh, and uh, airbrushed up. It was just unbelievable. Well, she just did. Yeah. Um, she just did one for Melissa Law. To go on she did. Plane, which was great. Yep, no, it's very good. It's good to see she's uh, still having fun with that. I know there's a lot of time that goes into them. Oh, and, I had uh, them on the podcast, I, and, and that I, I can't believe how much how dedicated they are to building. It is just, but husband and wife team too. It is yeah, just, oh, it's awesome. There's yeah. no way my wife would touch a model airplane. Not even <laughs> the only time she'd touch it is to kick it out of the way if it was in the hallway or something, taking up room. As close as I get. Now the, the let's fast forward a little bit and get to the IMAX thing because it's uh, you know, now you're known amongst the aerobatic community as an IMAC competitor. And um, it's interesting. I think, uh, you know, if we go back oh, a number of years now, maybe four or five years, the, the IMAX scene down here in Victoria wasn't that great. And uh, the good man, Michael Andrisic, really came, got involved and pumped it all up. And you came in with that new, the new wave of Victorian IMACers. And uh, so t- how did how did you get into that IMAC uh, scene and why? You're very very good. Um, so I met Michael already once before at a VMAA trophy, and it just so happened to be the, the following year or the next year I, I attended, and he was there again, and he started mentioning, I don't know how it came up in conversation. I could have been, we were having an open conversation with Joe Finocchiaro or something, and anyway, he sort of mentioned that he was going to run an iMac, come and try that. I said, oh, really? I said, I've got a, uh, a Krill Composite Extra that, um, you know, I've, I've got it flying now and I would like to have a go at iMac. So he invited me along and 
I was like, well, this is perfect. And I just thought, geez, by chance, how, how's, how much of a fluke is this? Because to be honest, I didn't really know or hear much of iMac. I thought it was a little bit of a secret society. Maybe on forums, I don't know. And I didn't really sort of have a way in. And I didn't even really know about the Scale Aero's website, to be quite honest. So this was really good. And I thought, wow, this, yeah, Michael seems like a great guy. Um, I'm, I'm going to go to this. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, so that was it. Came to the uh, Come and Try Day, and um, I was actually quite shocked and surprised because I was expecting, oh, well, everyone's going to have a composite plane. No, they didn't. Remember, it used to be like that. It was like, oh, you can't compete in iMac unless you've got, you've got a calf model's uh, composite plane kind of thing. And now it's like, why have you got a composite plane? Yep. Like, it's the odd one out now. Actually, and that came with the new wave. It was, yeah, it's, exactly. It's the new wave movement, the Victorian new so, wave movement. In, in that come and try day, there were probably about, just thinking, probably eight or nine new starters or interested people attending to, to have a bit of a go. And, like, it's straight away I thought, wow, this sounds really good. Because initially, look, to be honest, I didn't know much about iMac. I thought, based on what I assumed, and this is where you've got to be very careful not to assume uh, things about <laughs> associations or, or, you know, different uh, SIGs, but I thought, oh, you know, this is the rich kids club. You know, they all fly composites. Well, I was pleasantly surprised, and it was not like that at all. When I came to the Come and Try Day, everyone was so friendly that we're there to help Michael, and I was just like, wow, you guys are really down to earth. Um, yeah, okay, when's the first comp? <laughs> and that was it. And that was 2017. That was 2017. It's amazing. that, And even if you look at the amount of people that came in, you know, into the scene at that particular time as a result of that Come Try Day, a lot of them are still going. Correct. Absolutely. And we had another influx. So my passion grew from then. And I said to Michael, look, I'll give you as much help and support as you can get. Look, I've, I've been in scale. I was on the, the VFSAA committee for a number of years, uh, assisting the committee with the, the running of events and, and whatnot. And so in a way, my, my focus then shifted from scale to iMac. And I said, this is it. I'm, I'm putting all my energy here. Sorry, VFSAA. It's good. But I, I was really taken because I tell you what, I've done the civilian thing, like I said, in scale. And I was starting to go, well, I want to do a bit more aerobatics. And then I was sort of contemplating, well, do I want to go back and try F3A again and pick up from where I left off? Or do you want to sort of have a bit of a go at iMac? And I thought, oh, I don't know if I've got the uh, the skills to fly iMac. Because I actually thought initially, too, iMac was just about hot dogging in 3D and there wasn't I mean there was obviously going to be a, a precision component but I, I when I realised at the come and try day that it was actually scale aerobatics of you know manoeuvres that the full size did I just went this is perfect it's ticking all the boxes that I've been doing in scale with more and the thing that also intrigued me is the um, the arresty schedule and I was just like far out. This is a whole new language yeah, <laughs> and well, it intrigued me. Uh, there was there's only one thing you're missing from iMac as as I see it because you know if you if anyone listened to the Chris Rutter um, podcast, um, drinking beer plays a big part in iMac uh, competition according to Chris Rutter, and I thought <laughs> you had to have a be a good beer drinker to try to keep up at the iMac competitions. <laughs> And well, I, I think that's an incorrect statement, though. I think that the uh, the alcohol consumption is not a lot and uh, done responsibly for most, unless your name's Chris Rutter. 
look, the, the guys at, at the in iMac are great, and uh, the thing that I love most is um, they they welcomed uh, myself in in open arms and and really sort of uh, in, you know made sure we felt were you know I was made to feel welcome, and uh, yeah, if I ever needed, I always say that Michael Andrusic, out of all my years of flying model airplanes. I've never met someone that was able to transform a situation so quickly as Michael Andrusic. And it's, it wasn't that hard. We're going to run a come try day, right? Let's, and, yep. and that's, it all stemmed from that, that there was, it was like flicking a light switch. And I've said this to him, I heard it in the podcast and I say to him, I'm talking, I mean, you are the greatest. There's so many other people that talk about achieving things in the hobby, increasing participation, in different things. And, you know, let's get people building more models and all that kind of stuff, scratch building, kit building and whatever. But they just talk about it. Where where Michael just did something as simple as we're going to run a come try day. If you want to see what this is all about, and you know what we era models are like that you know if we see a group of people doing it, we go, oh, gee, that looks like fun. Wouldn't mind that looks that. interesting. Yeah, you know? it's, like, um, it's like gliding competitions. Like I like the idea of glider competitions. I, I really like. I went to Varms. I did a video there about one of their um ALES days. ALES, yep. And mm-hmm. I thought that is just that. I, I really enjoyed it. And I've got a um. I've got a glider that I haven't flown yet, F5J glider. And uh, I'm like, I want to go and I just want to go and have a competition. I'm not planning on winning. Uh, I'm not going to get heavily involved in because I just don't have the time at this point in time. But the idea of, of that challenge in my flying is something that I, I appreciate. Not that I'm, I'm going to become a big competitor in anything because I just can't commit the time to it effectively. But I like the idea of testing myself and, and working towards something. It's, Correct. And, and not everybody is like that. In fact, most people in the hobby aren't like that. They just enjoy going and having a bit of a muck around at the field and flying around. But for me, you know, I'm trying to improve my flying and I'm competing against myself in a kind of way to perfect those roles, you know, make the flight look good, make it neat. And I've got a very high level of expectation how I think the plane should look when I'm flying. I don't care about anybody else. When I fly, there's a certain picture in my mind as how I want to fly. Like on the weekend, um, went for a fly and I was really disappointed with my flying. So much so that I went, okay, I'm having a bad day, I'm packing up. And I didn't didn't pull the plane out again because I just thought, I'm just having one of those days, better off just not flying because I'm just going to be annoyed at myself and I don't want to, I'll just go and enjoy other people's company. But um, sure. yeah, the IMAC thing is, is good. And, and, and now you're a glutton for punishment because you're the secretary of the Scale Aeros Association that manages the IMAC. How much work does that actually involve? Look, it it does involve a bit of work every now and again in terms of, look, we're organising at the moment or planning, preparing for the Nationals, um, which are going to be in Cootamundra in, in September. So there is a bit of preparation going on with that. And look, apart from that, as in most secretarial roles, you know, there is always going to be some correspondence in and out that you've got to deal with. Uh, you know, obviously committee meetings, at, at the like of that. And um, but look, overall, I'm I'm very happy, and I'm a very happy place uh, on the committee, and I get along really well with everyone there. I feel like I've I've found a home, and uh, you know, I've I'm just enjoying it. It's it's really really good. Can I ask a special request then? Since you said you mentioned the uh, IMAC Nationals, can you please explain why you're running the IMAC Nationals on the same weekend as the Shepparton Mammoth Scale event? <laughs> That was a, it's a very good question because I also queried that as well. And 
And uh, look, I have not been to Shepparton for a number of years, and I do miss that event because I used to go all the time That's when great. I had my big Cessna. Yeah. And I'd like to go again, and I've, I've got some other models. I've got a Yak3U um, model, which has a, it's one of those CY models from Mozstars. It's got a uh, Evolution 7-cylinder 160 radial in it, and I really would like to take that to Shep and fly and uh, just enjoy, you know. Mm. I'm not all about competition. I do like to have fun and enjoy myself flying scale as well, um, as I do with Aeroto. And I mean, I've, I, there's many, many different uh, outlets I have in, in RC Aero Modeling. Um, you know, I also did F3C for a period of time. And you'd have to say that was my next bit of competition before I started doing iMac. Uh, and it's interesting coming from that. And I, I look at where I am now in iMac and, uh, you know, in helis, it was, and probably I could sort of say the same about F3A, there's always going to be the component of, well, how well have you set up the model? Because obviously, as to how easy the model is to fly, and, and when I'm talking about flying, I'm talking about mixes and rates and throws, the way that it's performing, you know, to obviously reduce the pilot workload. Coming uh, from, from helis, I used to, like, like you were saying before, I used to get pretty upset at myself if I made the tiniest of mistake, and that could even put me off for the rest of the manoeuvres of that flight, right? And, you know, I would recognise it and obviously got better at handling that situation, but then when IMAC came along, there were two things that, that appeared to me and said, okay, yes, it's still all about, you got to set your model up as well as you can, but the difference between IMAC and scale, as in VFSAA is, in, in scale, you would obviously select manoeuvres which are prototypical to that aircraft type. Now, when you fly, you could be flying at someone else who's flying a totally different type of model and depending on the uh, prevailing uh, weather conditions, they may or may not have an advantage over you. Now, coming to iMac, you're, okay, yes, you could be flying a 2.6, you could be flying a 3 metre. And either way, there could be a little bit of advantage here, but at the same token, you're flying the same manoeuvres, okay, in the same class, so, Really, it's all about perfection. <laughs> Getting flying as accurate as you can. No, no, I, I know, I get it. That, that you, it is a big difference that with the scale that not everybody's flying sort of a different sequence. And with with iMac, it's almost like a level playing field. That okay, here you're all going to fly this. You know, if you're an intermediate, you're all flying the intermediate sequence. And now it's just a judge of who can fly that the best. And um, it makes it makes a truckload of sense. It's it, it's it just I just am baffled though about how there's that passion that is back, which is great to see um, back in that iMac uh, iMac scene. Okay, we had a but actually this is interesting as well. Like we all know the impact of COVID that every event was basically cancelled in 2020. Uh, yes, <laughs> slowly getting back into them in 2021. And uh, but it didn't the, the people that were involved in iMac prior to that you know, the COVID outbreak of the COVID was still, are still in it now. We haven't seen people drop off, um, you know, as a result of that, that year long break. I think people are just looking forward to getting out and uh, attending some of those events as well. I think we, we cra we're craving going to some of these events. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the one thing about the iMac uh, SIG is it is like a family and, you know, you build some really good friendships. And, you know, when you haven't seen each other for a long time, you feel it. Everyone feels it. 
Um, so when we come back and fly, it is great. And I think when we came back for the first event this year at Northern, oh, that was great. It was great to see everyone. We felt like we hadn't seen each other for so long. And I mean, look, getting on a web meeting or something like that, look, it's not the same as in person. You know what I'm saying? The, the other thing I wanted to reconnect on, if I may, Andrew, was um, coming from, from scale and, and the other um, competitive groups like F3C that I've done. So the thing that really tipped it over me for iMac, uh, there were two things, double sequences. So even if you made a mistake in, in one of your manoeuvres on your first sequence, well, put it behind you, just get over it. And you know what, my, my uh, mentality and my whole focus changed. All of a sudden I was just saying, well, look, instead of getting all hard up on myself and, and really being uptight about it, well, my aim is now to just fly the best I can. And if I can just fly the best I can, and I know I've given it all I can, that's enough for me, you know. <laughs> and and that that really helped me. The other the other thing about iMac that really sort of caught my attention, which was something totally different in in the competition scene, was unknowns. Because all all of a sudden now, it's a matter of well, some pilots might have skills, or that you know they might be good flies in certain segments of flight. And you could potentially, even if, if you're still a bit new or green to a class, if you've just moved up, um, you could potentially, if you can pull off an unknown, you could potentially win that round and, and you know, edge your way up. <laughs> and a couple of times that happened to me early on and it was it was reassuring. It was nice. Um, you know, that was a key thing about the unknowns. You're just going to make sure don't zero, don't zero. High yeah. factors, just get through it. Yeah. <laughs> and the caller is very important in, in iMac, especially in the unknowns. And, and that's something you really learn. Speaking of callers, um, as you know, I'm an aerobatics fan and, and you were lucky enough to witness me uh, attempting to fly the iMac basic sequence. Um, and uh, I know what you're going to say. It's probably the best, you know, iMac pilot and beginner basic, whatever you've ever seen fly. I know you're going to say it, Stevie, but you were calling for me. And I think my instructions were to the two was don't call the names of the maneuvers out because I don't know what the names are, but I know the shapes. So <laughs> call yep. out the shapes. And there was, and then I think we got to one point where I go, is this what you want? <laughs> I wasn't, it wasn't a competition. It was just the field playing around. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that I'd struggle trying to remember all the names. I'm, I'm slowly – I know some of the basic ones, but uh, but anyway. I, I, That's where the communication is key between the caller and the pilot. And, and, and it can be as a new caller, especially calling for someone new. You Like, depending on the pilot, like, every pilot might have different needs in the sense of some can be – like, I may be classified as needy. I like to have everything. <laughs> I like mm. to know, okay, what am I pulling up to? What am I doing next? What am I doing? I like to also have a bit of time ahead up my sleeve so I'm not rushed. And, um, you know, that that's a key thing. And uh, not, being able to identify that as a caller from your pilot, you know, whether you're giving them enough information or – are you giving them too much and overloading them? Because that that's the biggest thing. And overloading, I'm probably a bit guilty of that because I, I probably come from, well, this is what I would expect. But <laughs> not everyone's like that. Some people just like, don't say as little as possible. And you know what? Some people will say, don't say anything until I ask you a question. And, you know, cause I, know yes. the, I know the sequence myself. I'm just concentrating. But, um, yeah, no, it's different. Now, let's move on to talk about some some of the juicy stuff, the planes. Tell me about what's currently in your hangar. Okay, that's that's a good question. So I've got my uh, 
my current pride and joy, my Extreme Flight uh, Extra 300, the 125 inch, which I've got the uh, DA200 um, set up in, and that's what I'm currently flying in iMac. Um, I also have a, a mini version of that, which is an electric one, I think could be the 60 inch yeah, from memory and that's a success setup and that that's good it's cute it's in the same scheme um what else have i got in my hangar i've got a, a bunch of helis i've always had a bunch of helis um t-rex 700e i've got also my quest uh which is a, an f3c machine a japanese it was formerly kyosho um used to be the calibers um but that's the electric version um what else have we got? I've got a Ventus 6-metre composite glider, which is... And the reason I bought that, because, uh, look, I'm the tow pilot majority of the time, but when we do go out to country aerotows, I like to actually have a bit of a fly, and I always wanted to get something a bit more decent. I could catch a decent thermal with start 40, 50 minutes, you know. So, anyway, I've got the Ventus, and, and that, that's been a great glider. Um, I've got a handful of little electrics, just because they're, they're easy to store, and if I just... Don't want to have to take the trail, and I just want to go for a quick fly, whether it be at Varms or, or P and Dark, so I can just take them. Um, I'm just thinking, what else there is? Oh, my Yak 3U, which I was telling you about before. Yeah. Um, you that, that's you're missing a major one that I saw the other day fly. Oh, my jet! Yes, of course, oh. the Odyssey. <laughs> Tell me about you know, because as you know, I'm a jet guy now. You know, I've flown a jet twice, <laughs> um, but. Uh, Tell me about that jet, like, because I didn't know you had a jet. When did that come into your hangar? That came into my hangar during uh, COVID last year, in between the the lockdowns. I think it was just yeah. before or after a a lockdown had ended that I I picked it up. And um, look, I I had been eyeing up jets for a while. Always wanted to have a go, so to speak. And um, the timing was right for me. And um, you know, I sort of researched. Look, originally. Like you, I've always loved Viper jets, and I was thinking, oh, I'd love to get a Viper jet. Viper jet. I was just all Viper jet, and I've always had a, a thing for winglets, like my mm. Ventus has, and just something nice. And I look, look at it and go, mm, yeah. Mm. <laughs> but the Odyssey came up, and look, initially my focus was not on it. And to be quite honest, the color scheme I was really a bit uncertain. I was like, oh, I don't know if I like it, but it's really grown on me since uh, I've owned it and been flying it so that scheme is what it's the black white and red red that's right i actually don't mind it. I, i'm a my my favorite colors in a model plane are red white and blue okay um, there you go they're like <laughs> uh my, my favorite scheme of all time is my 3d hobby shop 108 extra which i think is a, a phenomenal scheme that was designed by a guy by the name of aaron bates who is he's an australian but uh it's been in the u.s for a long time um, but that that's my all-time favourite scheme. But I, like, when I saw it on the weekend, I thought, no, nah, that that looks good. I, I don't mind that scheme at all. But um, what's so? What's that? What size is that? What's the wingspan? Ooh, I can't tell you from the top of my head. What I can't remember. It? That'll, that'll give us it's, okay. it, it's a it's a Swiwin one forty. Okay. Yeah. Uh, turbine, and look, the the turbine sort of size range I think was ten to fourteen. I mean, I have heard of some guys putting one sixties in them. I should say one hundred to to one forty. Um, look, it's a great flying jet. I'm I'm so glad I I did uh, buy that jet. Look, I knew that Viper jets were always a a nice forgiving airframe. Uh, the design and and they flew really well. Um, 
with the Odyssey, look, I, I'd read about it and I heard a lot of positive reports uh, on forums and things, Leo Javavi uh, uh, and a few others, and I thought, well, look, just looking at it, it it's got a lot going for it. It's got a lot of potential. So anyway, yeah, it has slightly um, curved winglets or wingtips, mm. which probably helps with stability, yeah. but um, it just flies great. I mean, I, I still get surprised... Um, you know, I did fly it on the weekend on Sunday at, at P and Darks, uh, and I hadn't flown it for a while, to be quite honest. Um, since the start of the year, is um, everything going on? But um, you know, because I hadn't flown it for so long, I was, I was like, oh, how, how much? Well, it wasn't so much that. It was just, I, I guess, I know there's a lot of mass we're carrying in the jet with fuel on board, yeah. and I know when it's time to land. Yes, you've burned a lot of it off. But it still is a heavy machine. Like, I pick it up on the ground, I go, wow, this is heavy yeah, compared to, say, my extreme flight, you know, <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> extra or something. And it just feels really solid. I'm thinking, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's quite, it's got a quite wide uh, wing root, which, which is good aerodynamically, um, and it's quite thick. So it does generate quite a bit of lift, and it will slow down uh, on landing, and it surprised me. I think the first landing I did, I couldn't believe how slow I could land it. Uh, with a bit of headwind and um, I actually <laughs> had it so high up on the Alpha that I was sort of holding the elevator in a bit and um, I ended up scraping the, the keel on the underside of the fuzz. It's got a vertical keel underneath. Oh, yeah. And then I, I sort of went, wow, okay, I wasn't expecting that. It just, uh, it just amazed me um, how well that jet flew. And being a first jet, I think it's a perfect first jet. I know it might be slightly larger than what some start out on. I know there's like the Elands and the Boomerangs and a lot of those trainer ones, but the reason I didn't go for one of those, I thought I'd probably get bored of it pretty quickly. So I thought, look, this this ticks all the boxes, and I'm so glad I got it. Um, no regrets at all. It flies great. I enjoy flying it. I can do nice slow roll manoeuvres if I wish, <laughs> or point rolls, do a bit of... Uh, iMac-y stuff, except for snaps, of course. <laughs> but um, it's a great flying model. Are you going to come to some of the jet events, do you think? Yeah, providing I can make it in terms of my uh, my time's not taken up elsewhere, i.e. iMac, because I, I obviously try to attend uh, a lot of the events. And, um, you know, um, I look, as I said, it, it's great. Look, I've, I've really gotten to know a lot of the, the flyers, not just here in Victoria, but also in New South Wales, and and some of them up in Queensland as well. So you know we I have travelled up to Queensland uh, for the Asia Pacific a couple of years ago, and um, you know I will venture out and travel the distance uh, for iMac. I'm not saying I won't do that for Jets too. I will, but obviously it, the timing would have to be right in terms of um, I don't want to miss out on my iMac. And I guess too the other thing is you know I've invested so much money in the iMac that. I want to obviously put it to good use and I've got to keep my skills up. I practice regularly and um, if you're putting in that effort, you know, you, you attend the events and, and, you know, do as well as you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, we, we've covered so much ground. Like there's so many different <laughs> uh, so many different uh, models that you've had. Do you enjoy building or do you see yourself more as a flyer? Look, I have done a little bit of building, and my dad's probably the main builder out of the two of us, and he's built a lot. He's repaired a lot. <laughs> some of some of my own as well, uh, because you know we make mistakes at times. Um, I could tell you, they couldn't actually. I probably couldn't tell you. It's probably been at four or five times that 
poor cub toe plane has come to grief with certain things, tip overs. Um, yeah, and yeah, he, he's a great builder. But in terms of me, look, I have just touched on it lightly. I prefer to fly, but I do enjoy putting them together. I mean, we're so lucky now with ARFs and the quality of the ARFs that we have now. Look, up. Building is one thing, but also the setup of the aircraft is another. When you've got companies like Extreme Flight, not trying to name drop as such, but they put a lot of time into L&D just to perfect the design and get the thing uh, flying as best as possible, whether it be for iMac or Freestyle. And uh, in saying that, I mean, I, I'm not going to waste my time trying to work on a design. I'd rather just yeah. look. I want to focus on the flying and... I know that too because I still know my limits and I still know I've, I've got obviously a lot more room to improve in my own flying to get up there. My, I'm in uh, advanced uh, second class from the top, but you know I would love to see if I can make it up to unlimited. That would uh, be ultimate for me. I know I'm nowhere near ready yet. but uh, I always say that uh, you know, I, I consider myself to be a flyer. I really enjoy the flying side of things. But I know that as I get older and, you know, life circumstances change, uh-huh. that I will become more involved with building. Like, I, I like the idea of, you know, grabbing that kit and, you know, putting it together and always talking about having a super chipmunk or something like that. And, and, and <laughs> you can't buy an ARF of a super chipmunk pretty much. Um, yes. But uh, I was going to say, I do know someone that's got a prototype. <laughs> and he showed me on his phone whilst I was in China. And I said to him, you should be making, I said, oh, actually, I said to him, oh, I really love the super chipmunk. And he go, and he pulls out his phone and he shows it to me. And he goes, like this. And I've gone, oh, one of those. And it may be from one of the companies that you mentioned earlier. But, uh, uh, but, um, but yeah, I know that as I get older, I will be more involved in, in building. But at, at the present point in time, you know, I know, so many people said to me, oh, I just got to find the time. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. I'll give up, um, I'll tell my daughter to give up netball so that I could uh, build model aeroplanes and I'll, I'll give up going skiing with the family and I'll, um, I'll give up work. I'll give up running my own business and I'll give up this podcast because I could be building in the shed. And the, <laughs> the fact is, I don't want to give up all that stuff. I want to do that stuff as well. I want to go and hurt myself riding my motorbike. You know, but but I know that you know there'll come a time where I don't want to get on a motorbike and I won't be skiing anymore, and the kids will be off with their own lives and all that kind of stuff, and that means I'll have more of that time to myself and and potentially room because the house isn't big enough for me to sit there and build. Uh, so it it will happen. It's just not going to happen anytime soon, which is fine. I'm, I'm not I don't have issues with that at all. Uh, what does aero modeling mean to you? It's the most philosophical question I've ever asked anybody, and I've saved it for you because I know you'll give me an answer. That that's a really good question. Um, just a couple of words: freedom, having the freedom to go and do what I enjoy, providing COVID restrictions aren't in place. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, but the freedom, I've always felt for me, error modelling has been a way of expressing myself, whether it be the way I feel, whether I'm happy, I'm sad. Um, I'm very expressive as a person, as I'm sure you know, <laughs> in my personality. Um, it, it has been a real journey for me. Uh, you know, I've been doing this a long time now, with and thanks to my dad, um, I've I've have met some great people, but it's friendships as well. And I think more so, that's really been 
made apparent to me since I started flying iMac. I couldn't believe that it was like that, actually. I never had any idea. I had no expectations, mind you, uh, in that sense. But um, the friendships, and I've got a lot of friendships also amongst the aerotowing community as well, attending at, at many events and, and things. Um, but in every facet, whether it be helis, iMac, even F3AL, say to some extent, scale, I've met so many people and built so many friendships. And, you know, you'll see someone out, they'll immediately, yeah, g'day, Stevie. And I'll be the same, you know, you know each other. You say, oh, yeah, what's up? So, you know, for me, it, it's been a real community and uh, a really good uh, thing. Look, it's kept me going. It's kept me happy. It's at times made me feel like, you know, I've, I've got something else to live for as well. I know that sounds quite harsh. But, uh, you know, COVID was, was a really bad time for us Victorians. Um, so, you know, I was on the sim. And the fun thing about that is I had a few mates I was able to link up with on the sim. And we even had some of those virtual IMAC comps. Yeah, um, that's true. Although they didn't count, but it was, an, it was a good thing just for everyone to still keep their thumbs or fingers moving. On the sticks. I think that 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 whole sentiment is, is, is I agree with you 100%. That I've got so many friends from model flying that are close friends. Now, I've got my, you know, my old friends that I went to school with and that, you know, mean everything to me kind of thing. But then I've got my flying, my flying mates. And if you didn't, it was interesting a few weeks back, we had, I had Marty Morgan from South Australia on the podcast and, and he lives sort of in a pretty remote area in South Australia. Um, and he can fly on his own property, he's got his own strip. And he doesn't enjoy it as much as going to a flying club because he misses having the people around. Correct. And it's the people that really make it, you know, and we know there's people that we like and people that we don't get on with, you know, you know, people we don't get on with so well and people that we do, but we're fortunate that, you know, we can find the people that we do like and, and, and hang around with those. But, yeah, the the network of friends amongst aero modelers is just absolutely phenomenal like today at least i think you're probably at least the third yeah third era model that i've spoken to today and there's some that i speak to every single day um and and it's just this this connection that you have um and it was even on the weekend you know i wasn't having a good day at the field with my flying personally but i was more than happy to just hang around and have a chat with people like that was I was getting more enjoyment out of that than actually my flying on that that particular day, you know. And catching Correct. up with people was always a good thing. It makes up for it, doesn't it? It does. It does. <laughs> when, you, when you're not having a good day, look, we've all been there. I've lost models over the years, and I've dumb thumbed it. And as as bad as that it feels, and you feel like your tail between your legs, and you're just like, oh. but then you've got your mates, and you can laugh it off. Uh, you know it. <laughs> You just it, keep it pushing just, your head. And, you know, it's exactly. Funny, like, when you think about it, some of our models cost a fair bit of money and we'd be devastated That's if right. we lost them, but we'd get back on the horse and keep on going. So I really enjoyed going to the Wangaratta Jets event. I really, uh, you know, had a great time there and, you know, met some, some new people and new experiences flying a different model and a different sort of genre of model and, and at a full-size airport as well. It was just like, oh, this is just awesome. And, I mean, a mate of mine kept saying, why don't you bring the jet down to the, you know, the club? And I'm, I'm like, nah, I'm saving it for the jet events because it's just, that's <laughs> what I bought it for. And that's what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn off these full-size airports to the other guys that want like flying jets and, and off we go. Now, you know what my signature move is, the final question that I ask everybody. Favourite model? You guessed it, Stevie. Yes, it <laughs> 
Well, and I, I, I really don't know. I, I couldn't predict what is going to what what uh, this will be, but because um, you've had a fair few models over the time. But out of all the planes that you've had, what do you think? What has been your favourite? Mm, it's it's tricky because I would. It's almost between two aircraft. There's, if if you'd asked me if I'd still owned this the four meter Cessna, I would say the four meter Cessna because that plane there was just something about it. I loved it. I thought it looked so realistic. It had a mini me in it, mini Stevie. Um, it was really my pride and joy for the time that I owned it. I really enjoyed uh, flying that at, at scale events. Uh, now I'll say it's it's my extra, my uh, my one twenty five inch extra three hundred um, extreme flight that. That plane, look, it flies so well. Um, you know, I've done a lot of scale stuff for so many years and then eventually moving to iMac and now I've, I've, I'm at the upper end of, you know, a three-metre machine, big engine, quite a large investment, but that thing just flies so well. And the thing that really sort of took me back, having flown a Krill, now I, I have nothing against composite aircraft, but I, I did quite a lot of work on that Krill to make it as light as possible. And the thing that always used to make me feel really a bit nerve-wracked was there's a lot of money in just the airframe alone, let alone the running gear. And I knew that if I come in just a little bit too slow, it could get a bit tip-stally. And I, I had one wing scrape up at, um, very minor, on landing at um, West Wylong, MAAA Nats, with it. And that really not shook me up, but it just meant, went, mm, okay, I've got to take a bit more care with it. And this was after I'd already lot reduced... I put the plane on Jenny Craig, okay? That's the joke, the running joke I had with the guys. And I, I probably took over a kilo and a half, I reckon, out of really? it. It was I, I was weighing every bit of stuff I was taking out, so I knew exactly what, what, what how much like, what what, wiring. Um, I was relocating batteries, shorter runs, trying to get as much mass at the front. So I had a heap of lead in the front. Okay. And the goal was to reduce the amount of lead I needed. It was very tail-heavy to begin with. And uh, yeah, but coming from that, the, what I was going to make the, draw the the line or the connection to having come to composite, not composite, uh, the built-up aircraft. So um, unfortunately, I lost that model in in a trailer fire uh, here at home, a charging accident, which was quite uh, quite tragic and sad and shocking all at the same time. And it's the um, uh, second one I've talked about in two weeks now on this podcast. Well. I never thought it would have happened to me, you know, I absolutely. But the thing, just coming back, another high praise for iMac again, um, that group, that family, uh, during such a difficult time, I didn't have a plane um, that, you know, I, uh, Michael Andrisic lent me his plane. So he goes, look, just come and fly my plane. <laughs> yeah. He goes, I know he you can fly. He can... just fly I know. this. You I know. With worm. You know, Brad Woman decided to go to a patent comp and was like, I'll just fly mine, just unpack fly that, you know. Yeah, no, he's a good guy. He is, he is. And and that really sort of opened my eyes as well. Like, look, this just reaffirmed everything for me. So, yeah, you know, having flown um, the composites going to, to the built-up model where I was, I was talking about, um, all of a sudden I, I realised, wow, these things land so slow. Yeah. And it's, okay, yeah. it's it's the the weight. Mm. <laughs> so that's the thing. Coming to the extreme flight, the three meter, the thing just lands so nicely, and uh, I love it. I really enjoy flying it. It's a great plane. I still need to put a lot more time into practice. And look, I, I do practice, uh, you know, as when I can, and I probably could go a bit more 
when possible. Obviously, when restrictions aren't in place. But um, yeah, that that's probably my best, my favourite plane out of everything in my hangar at the moment. Well, to to me, that that like even after you sold that Cessna and I saw Gwen Orchard flying it, to me it was still known as Stevie Maltman's Cessna. It was like, <laughs> uh, you know, if I if I had to pick one of your best models, it was that Cessna because it. And as I said, I, I I've had a lot of photos of that plane. Um, when flying it, but a lot of photos of that plane, and 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 it's one of those planes where you can't take a bad photo of it. Every single angle, whether it's on the ground, coming to land, a steep turn or whatever, it's just phenomenal. It's just like the photographer's dreams. Take a photo of it, and it's going to look good. And uh, and actually, little tip: when I put it on Instagram. A lot of likes, a lot of likes. So the Stevie Milkman says, I don't know who's, who's got it now. I remember um, Glenn had it at the Shepherd and Mammoth a few years back and he had it on the market then. And I think he found a buyer whilst we're at the event. And um, uh, so I'm not sure whether it stayed in Victoria, went to New South Wales or well, the challenge with that model is it's is just such a big model to have and to own and to oh, store. It is. You know, I'll tell you something very interesting that some, actually probably a lot of people wouldn't know. When I bought that Cessna, I did not have a model trailer, okay? And you could sort of say that it just worked out. <laughs> I had I was driving a sedan at the time. I had a Holden Calais, a VS, and um, I was looking to move up to a wagon. I sized up and I went around and, and tried different wagons. I went for a Commodore VZ, and would you believe that was purchased Specifically with the intention of transporting that Cessna yeah. around to events, and it did. <laughs> did you have to take the undercarriage off and everything? No, no, no. But it just fit in. And the thing that was awkward about that Cessna, the the width of the wheelbase of yeah. the mains, yeah, yeah. they were huge. So to get it through doorways, I had to tip the thing on its side. Uh, to get it through hallways and things, it was a real bulky thing to to yeah to maneuver um there's something about that really massive scale plane though like it loves everyone loves seeing something like that but um yeah no it was a great plane well stevie look it's been a pleasure and it's always a pleasure to be in your company at the field you know when stevie milkman turns up to a flying field and you 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 want to be uplifted you you head towards stevie because you know you're going to have a good time he's always going to be upbeat and happy and you know some people have got inconsistent uh, personalities. You know, you don't know what you're going to get on whatever day. Not Stevie <laughs> Melbourne. You're going to get a smile. You're going to get enthusiasm. You're going to get passion. That's why I hang around with you, Stevie. I like Thanks, you. Andrew. I guy. come to the field to be happy and have, have fun with you, mates. That's yeah. what it's all about. And, and <laughs> I'm honest. It's like, Stevie's here. Cool. You're going to have a good time then. Stevie's here. So uh, and thank you. And you enrolled in the committee at the club as well, so you put in a bit there as well, And uh, which is always uh, a thankless job, but... Uh, I'm going to thank you for it. Ah, thanks, Andrew. Anyway, we'll, uh, I'll see you down the field soon, Stevie. Thanks for joining me. Will do. Cheers. Take care. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. that's it for another episode of the flat out rc podcast uh big thank you again to stevie melkman what a good guy i really enjoy uh hanging around with stevie when i'm at the field so uh thanks once again stevie for, for spending some time having a chat with me uh now don't forget same old message subscribe jump on the flat out rc uh youtube page subscribe to that instagram facebook and of course whatever podcast platform you're listening to whatever your preference is whether it's apple podcast spotify soundcloud google podcast whatever it's called I can't keep up with all the names 
uh, then press subscribe and, and leave us a review if you like this podcast and uh, tell us. We'll keep on bringing to I, I, I always like getting feedback. Uh, I'm always looking for different topics and, and uh, fortunately there's a few people that have uh, given me a few tips and, and, I'll, and if I can achieve it, I'll follow up on their tips. So uh, if you have any suggestions as to who might be a good guest or someone you might want to hear from, then just send me a message. The easiest way to do that is jump on the flatoutrc.com.au website, flatoutrc.com.au, fill out the contact form or jump on Facebook and send me a message. Um, Jump on flatoutrc Facebook page and send me a message through that and uh, more than happy to have a chat with you and uh, get some input um, because I'm I'm really doing this for you guys so we've got something to listen to. I always say I love doing it. I'll keep on doing it as long as I can keep on getting guests and enjoy doing it. And uh, always, it never feels like a burden to, to sit down and have a chat with someone about their hobby and that kind of thing. As I say, aero modelling takes on a lot of different forms. You know, you might not be flying at the moment. Uh, you may be flying, you may have retired from it, but you love staying connected with the hobby. I hope this little podcast can uh, help you keep you connected because you are an aero modeler. So... Have a good week. Uh, I'll be back next week. Next week, I've got a good one for you. I've got someone coming from a major organisation in Australia that's uh, going to have a bit of a chat with us. So uh, stay tuned for that one. Until then, thanks a lot. Uh, stay safe, stay well, and stay happy.